Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. God sure does get a kick out of delivering people from their enemies. Once again, God is going to save the day. Just as it was when God liberated his people from the clutch of the Egyptians, this too is good news. But this time, God chooses a humble fella named Gideon to do this great thing. But Gideon didn't think so. He was visited by the angel of the Lord, we remember, even going so far as to be hurt, going so far as to hear from that angel that he was a great warrior. But Gideon, like us, didn't buy it. (laughs) No, he didn't believe that what God was saying could ever be true. There's no way that God could do such a thing was somebody that's the runt of his family, and his family was the runt of the entirety of the people of Israel. No. The person that we meet at the beginning of this story is doubtful, anxious, unconvinced. And this, I believe, is certainly a universal experience. We might just get a sense that God is going to do something great in and through us, but Boy, doesn't that feel fleeting? There's so many other competing ideas in our head to talk us out of that, to make us feel uncertain about what God might be trying to do with and through us. And as a result, our lives take on a shape of shapelessness. We're not defined. We don't declare anything, and we can't imagine why we are unfulfilled and don't know what joy tastes like. It reminds me of the story of the the mother with the toddler child who increasingly, when she would place the child on the changing table, would, would be afraid of falling off the table. It's understandable, of course. But the mother knew She was not going to allow her daughter to fall off, but it didn't comfort the toddler daughter. She, mother tried everything to calm her down, and it became very difficult to to soothe her and to help her to know that she just needs to settle. But one thing made all the difference. She would tell her child, look at my face. Don't look at the edge. Look at my face. Don't look at the edge. And her daughter, though very young, understood what her mother was telling her. She recognized from her mother's demeanor and confidence that all was going to be okay. And as long as she kept her eyes on her mother's face, on her countenance, giving her all of her attention on her parent, that she would be okay. Gideon needs a lot of encouragement and assurance to believe that what God has said, that he can trust. 
God gives Gideon several signs to get him over the hump. The first, Gideon brings food as an offering and God vaporizes the food right in front of him. I think the word I'm looking for is poof. But then Gideon asks God to prove himself by having a little fun with condensation, not once, but twice. And we remember this story. But finally, finally, God gets Gideon to assemble his men to defend their people from an invading army. We remember, of course, that at the beginning of this story, Israel was lost. They hid in caves. They cowered because they felt insecure and threatened. Each year, the Midianites would come, invade their land, raid their crops and their homes. But God heard their cries for help. Even though they had been disobedient, God took mercy upon his people. And here, finally, after this long journey to convince Gideon to stand up, to be the leader God knew that he could be. We've arrived at this place where Gideon has assembled thousands of troops to defend the homeland. So what does God do next? God makes it harder for Gideon. God wants to reduce the amount of help that Gideon's going to get. God wants to make Israel's army smaller. Yes, smaller. First, God tells Gideon to tell everyone in the army who is afraid and trembling that they can go home if they don't want to fight. And they can do so in honor. Two-thirds of the entire army goes home. Just like that, Gideon loses 22,000 troops. Instead of 32,000 men, Gideon now has 10,000 to fight. Tell me, what kind of tactical sense does this make? Consequentially, consequentially, if you ever find yourself afraid and lacking in courage, know that you have good company. Fully two-thirds of these who initially said they would fight confessed to being afraid and were allowed to go home. We're all afraid at some point in our lives, and we're not alone but then again, when you think about this, I think someone who might lead an army might say they would only want those who had the courage in that moment to fight, to be present. Because otherwise, if you had individuals who were fearful, it could cause a panic and weaken their forces. <laughs> Regardless, God still thinks Gideon's army is too well-armed. So he tells them to go down to the river and to invite Gideon's men to take a drink and to watch and to observe. So those who go down to the water and cup the water in their hands are told to go home. And those who go down and get on all fours and drink like dogs are the ones 
who stay. So of those who go down and use their hands to cup the water, they number out of the 10,000 remaining 9,700. 300 of the troops are the most dog-like. And those are the ones that God wants to use. There, God says to them, there's your army, Gideon. Instead of 30,000 men, Gideon now has but 300 soldiers that look more like dogs than they do people. Y'all, Gideon's army could fit in this sanctuary right now with you in here also. This is insane. This makes no sense. This is not how you wage war. Check that. This is not how you wage anything. Imagine trying to run a university of 10,000 students with three faculty members. Imagine trying to win an ACC championship with a team full of walk-ons, which is pretty much what NC State does each year. Imagine running Amazon's global operations from Uncle Bill's flea market and then doing the shipping out of your grandmother's trunk. Imagine staffing all of Disney World with members of your Sunday school class. Morgan, you get to run Space Mountain, Pirates of the Caribbean, all the restaurants, and it's a small world after all. Now, if you sprinkle some Jesus into this strange and insane story, you get a different rendering of the story of the feeding of the multitude. Hey, Jesus, you've been preaching for hours. And these people here, they're hungry and the stores are closed. So we better do something. What do you have to feed them, Jesus asks. Well, someone has a convoy of bread trucks parked down at the trailhead, says one. Another disciple says, and there's five boxcars filled with cans of tuna on the railroad tracks. Another pipes up, and a farmer's got a wagon full of carrots. And someone has a pretty big gift certificate to Chick-fil-A. And Jesus says, you know what? Bring me that boy with five loaves and two fishes. <laughs> Who does this? Who makes it even harder for us to get something accomplished? Well, that would be God. But why? Why would God do this? Why does our God choose to operate in such a way? The answer is in our story. The Lord said to Gideon, the troops with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand. Israel would only take the credit away from me, saying, my own hand has delivered me. Let there be no doubt about the forthcoming victory. God wants the credit. 
God wants to remove every ounce of our ability to boast. With God, it's all about him. God knows well what happens when we claim success as our own, that it was really our own abilities and our own accomplishments. Because when we do, we forget about God and we worship ourselves. We celebrate ourselves. It becomes all about us. And that never ends well, does it? Something about pride goeth before a fall and all that. <laughs> we worship an upside-down God. God delights in taking impossible stories and turning them into true life miracles. God likes to take out Goliaths with a shepherd boy. And God loves bringing salvation in the world through a teenage girl. And God is proud of, of taking a radical terrorist and turning them into a premier example of his love. And let's not forget that God's best work is accomplished on the cross. An image and symbol of shame with the finality of death on display for all to see. So if you think that God seems to just be making his plans harder and harder to accomplish, well, then rejoice and be glad because God's just getting started. Let us pray. God, there seems to be so many different obstacles in our way to get done what we think we need to get done. And just when we think we've got a handle on things, it just gets harder. And we don't know why, and we're discouraged. And yet, God, we are heartened by this story of a God that has very different values than the world's values. And so we stand in awe that you would choose to work in a way where the weakest are the strongest because it's you, not us, who are at work to do such great things. Give us this day and tonight and this coming week the reminders that we need to recall from Scripture the story of the church and in our own lives how you took nothing and made it into something. Truly, God, help us to hear Paul's own words and to take them to heart when he says that our grace, your grace, God, is sufficient for us, for power is made perfect in weakness. Go to work in our lives, God. Make it about you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.